You are listening to Studying Pixels, a swashbuckling podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont. I'm a game study scholar from Germany. And I am Tobias Klöß, a mighty pirate. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Dan is off, unfortunately. He told me that I need to say that he's off on his own pirate adventure. But instead, we're here with Toby. It's wonderful that we can come together and record a show again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's like the title says, Return to Monkey Island, Return to the Podcast. Normally, I'm doing some interviews and research for this show, so you might have heard of me, but now I'm here to talk about Monkey Island. Yes, the Monkey Island series, I think we both have quite a long engagement with it, right? Because I have not played the very original games back in the day when they came out, but I played them when there was a HD re-release or an HD remaster, I remember that. So I played the first two Monkey Island games and the third one as well, if I recall correctly. I'm not sure whether I actually finished the third one. Yeah, I also didn't play it when it was coming out back in the days because I think I'm too young for that. But I played it, played the first game when they were released somehow on the PC games and you could buy the magazine and within there would be the game and this kind of disc where you would use it as some kind of a code for getting access to the games so it was like having these magazines which had the image of the actual cartridge printed on them so i remember monkey island as something connected to a video game magazine uh, so it was part of these of these discs at the time when video game magazines still existed yeah it was some kind of a full title so there was nothing on it as well it was like okay here's the magazine and you get monkey island one and monkey island two within the magazine and you get this kind of uh, paper disc where you um, move it around and then you get access to the game. It was some kind of a code which you would need. Nowadays you are using this kind of codes online and the, back in the days it was some kind of a protection for the game. Yeah, it makes me feel nostalgic already, I must say. I'm already, like we're two minutes into the episode, I already feel nostalgic because of these code uh, discs that you got in order to make sure that you didn't pirate the copy. Yeah. But you played only the first one? No, I played the first three ones, but you could say that the third one wasn't a sequel to the to the second one or an ongoing episode because Ron Gilbert left, but I played all three of them. I didn't play the fourth one and this kind of Telltale Games Monkey Island installment. The Tales of Monkey Island. Yeah, Tales of Monkey Island, something like yeah. that. It was like, nah, I don't know if this is going a good thing. So I stayed with the first three. But I think I played all of them several times, like six or seven times. Because it's mostly for me, it was some kind of a movie I would rewatch because I know how everything is working. But I want to relive this experience of Monkey Island. I also did the same thing with these early point-and-click adventures. They often had this effect on me that rather than just playing through them, I would linger around. I would just be in the area. I remember doing that with Larry Laffer, I think. Larry Laffer, Leisure yeah. Suit Larry. 
this like very naughty game that I played when I was way too young for <laughs> it. And it was like set in a hotel and I would like basically just simulate being on vacation and being in a hotel without yeah. actively pursuing the story or the puzzles. I never played that one, but I have to add that I also played this kind of HD remake on the iPhone, which isn't um, accessible anymore on the iPhone. It doesn't exist anymore. No, you can at least in Germany, you cannot access these already bought games because it isn't compatible with the new iOS. And they somehow vanished from the App Store, which is really annoying because I was thinking while I'm waiting for Return to Monkey Island, I could play a little bit of the old parts. And then it was like, okay, that's missing. That's taken offline. Well, I hope it's not going to happen to Return to Monkey Island. As you can hear out there, we are already quite in a nostalgic mood talking about this video game, which we're going to review in just a moment. But first, let me remind you that if you like this show... And if you want to help us make it happen, then you can support us by joining Studying Pixels Plus. This is where you can get all of our episodes entirely ad-free, where you'll get a beautiful, lovely sticker with Pixel Coon on it, our little cute mascot. And of course, monthly plus episodes. I already know what the plus episode for the next month is going to be. Shall I spoil it? Spoil it. Oh, I'm so excited. With next month, so this will be for October. October 2022, most likely, we're going to talk about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. We're going to talk about the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series, how it developed, how it grew into something major, and how it was completely put to shreds as the developer studio changed several times. So that's going to be a really good one. If you're curious about that, then go to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. 1990 the creative director behind Monkey Island left. And the series continued in various formations. We already mentioned the Telltale games. We mentioned that there were several sequels and also HD remasters produced. And now, just this week, Return to Monkey Island released as a sequel to the original two games. So that's kind of the third one 
in the actual Ron Gilbert Monkey Island series, you could say. Yeah, you could say that. But before we jump into Return to Monkey Island, just let me add that Monkey Island did something interesting or also many mentioned, which was also somehow connected because it was also coming from Lucas Games or Lucas Arts. It introduced this kind of scum engine or scum um, thing where you could click on things and then you would use some kind of a verb. You would say, for example, use or pull that with that, which was some kind of a um, changing thing back then because before you would start this kind of adventure games with text adventures, you would have to put in the, the commands yourself. And with introducing some kind of scum engine, you would be able to use that things. So Monkey Island wasn't really successful, speaking of financial success back then in the days, but it was one of these installments of games which kind of changed the adventure game genre. It definitely did. And it coined the adventure game genre to be something that is also quite hilarious. Because yeah. Monkey Island has always been very comical and very meta in its humor. And this is something that, it's not a stretch to say that this continues with Return to Monkey Island. We basically have the situation that now the wannabe pirate Guybrush Threepwood returns to compete with his, like, I would say, long-standing nemesis, the ghost pirate LeChuck to find the secret of Monkey Island. Because regardless of the title, the first game was called The Secret of Monkey Island, but actually the secret has never been revealed. That's true. And now they're tending to that again. And the big question, I guess, and the main point of the game, does it manage to revitalize the kind of charm that was established with the original Monkey Island games? Yeah, that's a good question, but also a question I... I still think about it because somehow if you think about these these first games from for me actually it it is like of course I have replayed them so I'm aware of this kind of nostalgic thing which is going on in my head that it's more like okay the, these were the days but it was also connected to be a child I was like 12 when I played the first one and so I have to be aware of how I think about the old games. But if you would ask me, I would say yes, but it also do something different because it's some kind of aware of its own lore. It is very much aware of that. It starts out even by just directly attaching itself to the ending, the contested ending of Monkey Island 2 and expands upon that. And it is always engaging with its own history and at the same time i would say definitely going further and expanding upon it but when it comes to the humor when it comes to the also the charm of the characters the writing and all the plethora of jokes that's in there i found that it very much manages to revitalize the charm of the originals like i couldn't say whether like it's definitely on par when it comes to comedy with the first two Monkey Island games. I think something with the comedy is like the older ones were sometimes meaner and more evil. A cynical, you mean? Yeah, or more cynical or more, oh my God, what have I done? And here it is more like a little bit more grown up. I had no spoilers, 
I had one situation where I was like, oh my God, Guybrush, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I had this kind of experience more with the older ones, but it is okay because my kind of humor somehow progressed and so did also the game. So the game is aware of that its main target group are people between like 40, 30 and 40. So the people who played the first games when they were younger. Yeah, it is peculiar how Guybrush combines these two opposing attributes of being on the one hand a complete menace to everyone around him. Like, he destroys everything that's precious. He harms everyone in his way, pretty much. And at the same time, he has this irresistible charm and innocence. Like, he doesn't want to harm anyone directly. He just often does it out of stupidity or because of his silly craftiness to circumvent an otherwise seemingly impossible challenge. And I think that makes him a very peculiar character. I find it interesting that you mentioned that the former or the older Monkey Island games had a more cynical tone to them because I found that the Return to Monkey Island, it really has a very, it's grown up, but it has a kind of heart to it, a kind of a charm. It's not bitter in any way about the process of growing up, you know? No, it's more like saying, yeah, you have grown up, but you can still have fun. You can have this kind of funny ride. And I, I would actually say, Monkey Island is some kind of an amusement park where you go to and you have fun. And sometimes you, you're walking around and you struggle with some puzzles, but while you are on the way to solve these kind of puzzles, you have a lot of fun. So it's more about being part of this roller coaster of events happening. And I also think Guybrush is, of course, a fool. I would say his character type is the fool, but some kind of charming and also in the end he has a heart of gold. He, he's not doing this because, of course, he's saying, hello, I'm Gabriel Friedwood, I want to be a mighty pirate at the beginning of the first game, but it's always about doing the right stuff in the end. So it's, of course, you're stealing, you're drinking, you're swearing, you're spitting, <laughs> and all these things pirates are doing, but it's also, I mean, it's a game for families. You can play it with your children. There's no part where I would say, okay, I wouldn't show that to a child. It's basically a child's game and or a game for child. And also you can see uh, in the bi biography of Ron Gilbert that he also moved into the direction of making games for some kind of learning games for children, that he was always thinking about going in a direction or somehow worked on these things while he was already on Monkey Island. So I would say there was some kind of part of him already doing this thing, but later then was going in that direction. But speaking about Guybrush, I think he's also more grown up in that perspective that he is a little bit more responsible. Well, I, I don't know about responsible. I mean, the extent to which he causes havoc I found it quite shocking at times, yeah. but it always resolved into some kind of pun or being funny or eventually it turns out to be something good, I guess. I mean, he, he is grown up in his in the function that he has in the game as in he's he is himself a grown up. He's not like a, uh, I don't know, a, a teenager who wants to be a pirate anymore, but rather someone who shares the experiences of his ventures, you know, with others. Yeah, and he doesn't have to prove himself anymore to anybody else 
being like this pirate guy. He's like, yeah, of course I'm a pirate. I did these three tri trials in the beginning. And there is, I think this isn't a spoiler because it wasn't a trailer. There was is this kind of reintroducing these three pirates from the table from the first game where you were like, okay, you have to success in these three trials to become a pirate. And he's talking with them. And they are like, yeah, actually, you never showed us proof of that you succeeded with these trials. So you aren't actually a pirate. And everybody is like, yeah, it's a problem. I was on the seas. I did all that stuff with pirate is doing. I'm basically a pirate. So yeah. I don't care anymore. I'm Guybrush Threepwood. You've probably heard of me. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. While Return to Monkey Island, I would say, is a very recommendable game, maybe we should briefly mention at least my concern that I would say it's not very recommendable for people who have not played the at least the first two Monkey Island games. Because there is something in the game called the Scrapbook, which you can look at the beginning, and it details the main plot points of the Monkey Island series thus far. But I think since it relies so much on meta jokes, on jokes that relate to events that happened previously in the Monkey Island series and characters that were introduced previously, I think I would probably be profoundly confused if I would enter the series with Return to Monkey Island. I don't know. You would have, you would need somebody who didn't play it, the first games. But for me, it was like if I hadn't played the first games, I would still enjoy the game because... Guybrush explains why this matters to him, so you could experience this kind of events through his telling these little cues, and it is okay because it's a story in itself. It's kind of this returning, but of course there are some major things you wouldn't enjoy that much if you haven't played the first ones. Yeah, I would say that it's probably worth it if you are thinking about going into Monkey Island and you haven't played the former games, at least the first two, then I would say it probably makes sense to watch a YouTube summary video or something. They're probably out there where it's just like, you know, just the cutscenes or just like this main story plot points that you can that you can check out. Because ultimately, it's not really a game that very much relies on a narrative evolution, but it does rely a lot on characters and on, hey, uh, you know, you're discovering, you're running into a character and Guybrush is immediately like, hey, what are you doing here? It's like, okay, so clearly those two know each other. Yeah, that's basically true. But the characters themselves are funny. So, of course, it's like playing somebody who is running into somebody you already knew before. But in the end, the actual event or the jokes are somehow new. So I would say it's still funny, but of course I would recommend to play the first and second one before. I think it's even still very much doable, like especially with the HD remakes, the first and the second games, uh, game they are very enjoyable still and pretty affordable to play. Now, you mentioned that you run into a lot of characters and it feels almost like or to me, it felt almost like coming home whenever you came to a place that was familiar or ran into a character that was familiar. We're talking about characters such as Murray, the talking skull, of course, Stan, the overly ambitious salesman, beloved characters from the Monkey Island series. And I found it wonderful how they captured the charm and the dynamic between Guybrush and these characters, how they play off of one another and brought it back to life with Return to Monkey Island. Yeah, but something which somehow annoyed me was that 
of course, you have this kind of returning characters and you have a few new ones, but that's it. So it's not like that they are bringing back a lot of characters. It's like this basically main characters from the first and the second one. And Murray, because he was some kind of a beloved character in the third one, which wasn't actually from Ron Gilbert. So it was more like a surprising to see Murray in the game. But in the end, there are a lot of characters which could have made a return, but aren't there. Who are you thinking of? Uh, how is it named? Larry? Larry from the first one, this kind of assistant of LeChuck. Is he dead? I have no idea. <laughs> the, the guy, you, you're walking on this bridge in the first first one, and you are like, yeah, hello, I'm Gabriel Freebird. And he's like, yeah, you cannot cross this bridge. And later you show him the, the, the pirate beard of LeChuck, and he is somehow kind of bringing LeChuck back to life or undead life, ah. that character, I think. Wow, it's been such a long time. Mm, I vaguely I, remember I mean, now. he isn't, isn't important if I don't know his name again, but for example, there are this kind of family uh, related to Soup in the third one. So, of course, these are some kind of side characters, but of course you could have brought back these characters, but it's more like focusing on the characters from Ron Gilbert from the actually the first one. Yeah, uh, that's true. And at the same time, I think it is a wise choice to make to, on the one hand, rely on at least a mainstay cast that are like very popular characters from the series. And on the other hand, to also bring in very prominent new characters that I personally found super charming. I was surprised by how easily they managed to fit in new characters into this already impressive rosters of silly creatures, such as my favorite new character. I noted him down, actually, because I, I love this guy. His name is Gullet, and he's the first swab on Le Ship, which is LeChuck's ship. He's like a horrifyingly cruel zombie, and he torments you for a while. At the same time, he has like a terrible sense of poetry, and the best thing that I've found about Gullet is that he gets, throughout the game, or most of the game actually, he's stuck in the rudder of the ship. <laughs> and whenever whenever you turn, whenever you stir the ship, he's like, like in the background. I must say, Gullet was just, it was just hilarious. Whenever there was a scene with Gullet, you immediately knew that it would be hilarious. I hadn't that experience. For me, it was like, okay, he's, he's there. It was funny to find out this kind of connection between the steering wheel and him being trapped. But no, I, I haven't had that experience. You don't have a favorite from the, new, from the new characters? Actually, my favorite experience was the relationship of Guybrush with his son, which yes. isn't a spoiler, because you could say without having a major spoiler, it's very in the beginning of the game, that Guybrush is somehow telling this story you're experiencing to his son, boy brush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this relationship was charming and also having this uh, kind of connection to Elaine, which now is Gabriel's wife. And in the beginning, I was thinking like, okay, they ha don't have a connection at all. And then through the story, there are some minor events or minor interactions where I'm like, Oh, they are so lovely. I want to have that in my yeah. life. When when he's coming to her and he's like, hi. And she's like, hi. 
yeah, there's a certain attachment of these two that gets conveyed really well. Even though, like, Elaine, she's such a good person, like a genuinely good person. And Guybrush is, of course, the fool who messes things mm. up. And at the same time, you can see the, their dynamic between her being to a certain degree forgiving, but at the same time also challenging him to be better or to do good. And I think that's just like a wonderful, uh, wonderful story that they explore there. Yeah, she's like, you could say she is grounding him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's also what I meant with saying he's more responsible because there is, this is also not a spoiler, there's one moment where you could steal something and he isn't because he thinks of her and is like, okay, I think she will miss that thing. Of course, he's stealing another thing and it's <laughs> causing a lot of trouble also for her. But I think that's an interesting relationship. And it, for me, it meant something more because of the, the stories they already went through. Yeah. And she's grounding him without judging him. I found that kind of sweet. Uh, that's, I think, where the, the heart of Return to Monkey Island comes in. Because it's not cynical. It's not like their relationship is at no point in jeopardy or being like in this kind of you know, is, is, is there going to be another quest for, you know, I have to save Elaine again or something? No such thing. They engage with this relationship, this very solid and established relationship in a very mature way. I found that very appealing. Yeah, there is this kind of comment in the scrapbook. I think we can talk about that as well, where he is talking about the things he experienced in the first games or first and the second game. And where he is saying something like, yeah, that's Elaine. She always had everything in, under control. And this kind of reflects also on the older games. Yeah, I think it also shows how Ron Gilbert, the entire team, but also players themselves have grown up. Because this is no longer a quest of save the woman, even though in the first Monkey Island game it was already, already the case that you wouldn't have had to save her technically. But it was still she was still kind of the, the goal to save. Whereas here it's more like this longing this hunt for well the secret of monkey island that has never been revealed that has never been uncovered it's kind of like coming back to unfinished business which is something that ron gilbert also commented upon within the game basically getting things done that were left unfinished previously and engaging with this kind of mystery in a more grown-up more mature manner yeah and i think at some point it also is questioning is that really worth it so you have this kind of you have this kind of secret and you're doing a lot of things and this is some kind of also directed to the player so it, is it worth it so of course we will not spoil if it's actually worth it to find the secret of monkey island but i found these kind of questioning okay what i'm doing is that should i leave it there so should i give up in a good way it's more like with this kind of um, Lord of the Rings thing, of course you can hunt for the for the ring or in Indiana Jones, which is actually pretty connected to the Monkey Island series because there were also this kind of Indiana Jones adventure games. And there you have this kind of question of the um, crusade for the Holy Grail and if it's really a good thing to hunt for these things. So, And I think this is also something Monkey Island reflects on. Yeah, in its text and its story, it reflects on it also in the production because I think that is the kind of notion that uh, Ron Gilbert yeah. and the team must have mulled over several times. Is it worth it going back to Monkey Island? Is it worth developing this 
and at the same time also four players. Do I want to come back to something that attaches to memories I have from the early 90s, maybe? You know, is it worth going back? Is it worth going through that? And is it a good idea to do that? Because I think we don't have to go into deep in this kind of discussion of the art style and this kind of backlash um, Ron Gilbert had. Oh, let's do that. Let's go into the, <laughs> let's go into exactly that controversy about the art style. Yeah, okay. I think it's, I think it's yeah. kind of an important part of it. Yeah. But first, before we go into that, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we are back talking about Return to Monkey Island. And of course, we have to address the new art style, because when it was revealed, there was quite some backlash. Monkey Island looks quite different from its original. Who would have thunk? <laughs> I must say, I like the new art style. I liked it from the beginning. It has this kind of surrealist comic style vibe. It was designed by Rex Crowell, or Crowell, who is pretty renowned for his work at Media Molecule. He worked on Little Big Planet and Tearaway. So it has this kind of, uh, it's a bit more abstract maybe, than, than previous Monkey Island art styles. But I found it very charming to begin with. Yeah, I think it was a good idea to go in that direction because otherwise it would have been some kind of this, oh, not a pixel art game. 
which you already had with Thimbleweed Park. Thimbleweed Park, yeah, it was a pixel art game. And I also think that Monkey Island, it has changed its art style several times. It was originally a pixel art game. Well, it wasn't really a pixel art game. It was a state-of-the-art game that was pixely because it came out in the early 90s. And the second game actually were hand-drawing pictures or images and then somehow pixelated pixelated yes and uh, with the third game they switched to a more disney style look i think yeah you yeah. could say yeah, a more disney like or more like having a comic movies not animated more like these older disney movies yeah like an old disney film so guybrush is basically a disney prince <laughs> the third one. and later on with the tales of monkey island i think it was a 3d animated then they had the re-release of the first two games which already offered to switch between the old original pixel graphics and a new also like comic style graphic and now well they have this kind of more surrealist abstraction, which though I think is perfectly befitting for the humor and for the charm of the series. I honestly didn't understand the backlash. I think a lot of people would prefer that you would go in that direction of this pixelated version. But for me, it was like, maybe it was because I wasn't so aware that there was coming a new Monkey Island if if you would have this kind of time span between the announcement, which was on April the 1st, and the uh, introduction to the new trailer, maybe then you could have uh, been thinking about how would it be creating some kind of image in your head. Okay, it has to be that way. If they are going to have Ron Gilbert back on, the, on board. And I think for me it was like, okay, it looks like that. I liked it. Yeah, it's they experimented with so many different styles, so many different directions. Like Guybrush basically is an iconic character that you would always be able to identify in various different art styles. It's not like you will discover a character and you'll be like, huh, I can't even tell who that is. That's that's actually true because there is an Easter egg in, I think, the last Uncharted game where you have to also have some kind of a puzzle and you have to um, remember the names of several pirates. And there is also a, an image and a statue of a pirate where they are all the time like, I cannot remember that guy's name. <laughs> it, is, it is clear to the audience or to the player that this must be Gabriel Freeboot and this is some kind of a um, tribute from Uncharted to these kind of pirate-related games as well because one of the Uncharted games is related to to uh, piracy and so on and this kind of pirate island and you have this kind of Easter egg. So And you 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 immediately recognize, okay, this must be Gabriel Freeboot. Yeah, and there are a lot of aspects that they actually brought back and... I would say even lifted the quality up. For example, the music is a wonderfully composed and orchestrated. It has this very organic Caribbean sound and the very iconic Monkey Island themes that they bring back and very smartly tie into new compositions. I found that super charming. Yeah, you could say that, for example, with these new pirate leaders you are uh, introduced at the scum bar. There is some kind of this transition from this like old Monkey Island Caribbean um, reggae sound to some kind of a rocky metal cover thing. But something I recognized was that the mixing was, at least in my my experience of the game, maybe they patched it. Um, but I, I had this experience. I was talking to them, and the the uh, music was a little bit 
um, more silent, a little bit uh, more shifted into the background. And then when they stopped speaking, it became louder again. And for me, it was totally annoying. And it was like, okay, this is not a good mixing for the combination of the voices of the characters and the sound in the background. Okay, I didn't experience that at all. I played it on the iMac yeah. and it had a very full and rich sound but I didn't notice any such thing. If anything, then the music was a little bit mixed too loud, I found, but not too significant. So I I found it quite all right, I must say. I didn't have that experience. Yeah, maybe it was something which was in the beginning. I think you started a little bit later than me, and there were two updates of the game. Possibly. Although, I don't know. I think I started pretty much directly when it came out. I had it like pre-purchased and, and uh, downloaded already. But it might also be that we played on different systems and that depending on the speaker system that you have, that it might be a little bit more or less pronounced, this effect of fading the music. Yeah, I played it on a MacBook, maybe it's... That could be a possibility. Yeah, but I would I would agree to that, that the music is somehow awesome, but I don't um, remember any new piece, new piece of music where I would say, oh, this was amazing. It was more like returning to the classic ones. Yeah, you hear like, duh, 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 <laughs> and you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> now we're talking about LeChuck. Deep in the Caribbean. <laughs> also, the voice acting I found quite brilliant, as it needs to be for Monkey Island, because aside from puzzling, which we're going to talk about in just a second, it is mostly a game where you have lots and lots of silly conversations, and Dominic Armato, who's the original voice of Guybrush Threepwood, he returned as the voice, and he imbues that character with life. Yeah, I, I think that was important that this was the same voice. LeChuck was for me a little bit confusing at the beginning, but I think his voice actor and I think his name is Jess Harnell. It's not Earl Bowen, uh, which had a more like a deeper voice and more like a Darth Vader voice. Yes. <laughs> so the new LeChuck is some a little bit like the art style. In the beginning, it's a little bit like okay, what's that? I, I don't know if I like that. But you get used to it and he is doing an amazing job with somehow playing with his voice. So it, it's not like with Darth Vader, you are like, okay, this voice is awesome. And you stick to that. Here it's more like, okay, that's a voice. But you recognize what he's doing when he's shouting and so on. So I think he's he's another person, but he's still doing an amazing job as Lee Chuck. Yeah, I respect all of the voice actors of the Return to Monkey Island so much because they deliver pun after pun and go through extensive dialogue, and it's just consistently high quality. Yeah, there are some parts where I was thinking, okay, I just asked this question out of pure curiosity, and then the character replied with an answer which was so long. Maybe it was because I played some kind of director's cut, but for me it was like, I was imagining myself being this voice actor standing in this voice acting booth and reading like this, I don't know, um, instructions to something, which you can hear, for example, how this must have been uh, felt when they were like acting this part. I was wanting to ask you about that because there is actually the option in the menu to select a specific writer's cut, which is described as more blather, worse pacing. <laughs> I didn't select that because I assumed this would be, you know, just like more extensive dialogue, more silly jokes, more rambling, but it would ruin the experience of staying in the flow. So I didn't go with that, but you did. Did you feel like it had a kind of troubles with pacing? No. I think it kind of repeated the things the 
first two games already did when you, for example, ask somebody how much would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Oh man, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Congratulations. The silly dialogues, which doesn't lead anywhere, but are so long. I mean, there's also uh, an event where Guybrush himself is saying something like, seriously, this is taking so long. I'm not telling you what, of course not. But this somehow is for me the core of of how the jokes in Monkey Island work. That you would have, for example, I, I think I can tell that one, a judge who is telling you the exact paragraphs to the thing you are discussing with him and it, it doesn't lead anywhere and you don't understand a thing but there is somebody a voice actor who is reading or saying his lines in the voice acting booth and it's totally silly because it's so so dry humor that it becomes funny yeah it just goes on mercilessly yeah it's like oh man what it's, it's not like okay this is boring this is like okay this is so over the top so long that it is funny again Well, I also think that they nailed the extensiveness of the game very well because Return to Monkey Island is a big game in a sense because it's covers you cover a lot of ground for a point-and-click adventure and at the same time it is sufficiently well-paced so that I never felt like slowed down by constantly having to click on everything. Yeah, but this is something I missed actually. You have this kind of new way to interact with things. So you you uh, have this kind of icon which shows you that something isn't compatible with another item. So you don't have to try everything with everything like in the old days. But sometimes I would have enjoyed if it would be like, okay, you compare that thing with the other thing and Guybrush is doing a silly joke. Of course, you can reduce the amount of things you have to record. And for the player, it's like, okay, I don't have to try that and that and that. And in the end, nothing happens. So this is good for the pace. But sometimes it was like, okay, this is leading me already in the direction of the solution because I just try things and see, okay, this is the only thing which is working, so I use that. How did you find the puzzles in general? Because Monkey Island is infamous for its Some would say associative, others would say plainly terrible puzzle design where you have to just, you know, randomly try and fail over and over again until you coincidentally stumble upon a solution. No, you have to be in the right mindset. Yeah, or you have to be in the right mindset. You have to be sufficiently drunk <laughs> no, <you laughs> to identify the solution. <laughs> you have to be become a little bit crazy, but still logical. So... I mean, back in the days, this is no spoiler for this game, but for the older ones, you have to open a monkey's head with this kind of uh, brushing thing for your ears, so which is totally off the top and totally crazy because you wouldn't think to connect these things. But if you played a monkey island before, you would think in that direction. And also the game somehow gives you clues. Of course, there is a hint book you can open. And I actually did that sometimes because I also wanted to know what it is about how it does work and it's also leading you in that direction with with minor hints and then like explaining it to you it's not like a walkthrough it's more like okay here's a here's a minor hint and if you don't understand it here's a bigger one and in the end you get explained what to do in in detail so that this is one thing and the other thing is if you pay attention 
to what the characters are saying, you are also getting a hint and or you somehow realize, ah, okay, that's that's what I'm supposed to do or this is what the character wants me to do. For example, getting something from them which they wouldn't giving me before. Yeah, I think that is a very well-struck balance in Return to Monkey Island because they still employ this kind of absurd adventure game logic or point-and-click adventure game logic partially. But I found that in Return to Monkey Island, I pretty much always had a clue yeah. as to at least where to search or what I could try first and so on. I never felt like I'm hitting a wall, basically. I'm hitting a brick wall and I've got no idea how to proceed, which was how actually that was like 50% of the experience of Monkey Island 3 for me, where I was just like constantly in situations where I thought like, oh my God, what does the game want me to do now? I just, I guess I just click on everything until something works. For me, that was never fun. I always had a problem with that. And that's why I never felt Monkey Island to be quite as enjoyable as some other adventure games. But I think with Return to Monkey Island, they nail the balance very well. They give you a sufficient amount of hints in the dialogue. They have the hint book, which I find wonderful. I also made use of it a couple of times where I was just confused and it doesn't punish you. It doesn't judge you. It's just, hey, you just want general tip. Just click on it once and you'll be fine. You know, I like that. And the good thing about the hint book is they are aware of the sanctuary. Yeah. Of course, you cannot go to the internet in the first days of the game and look at some walkthrough. Of course, there are these kind of magazines which had a review copy and already have this kind of walkthroughs, but in the beginning of, of the days when Return to Monkey Island, I think it was a little bit more difficult to find solutions on the internet, but they are aware of that you would get spoilers if you've searched for these kind of solutions on the internet, because then you would scroll through a page and then you would be like, okay, I scrolled too far and I spoiled myself the ending because of some images or something like that, or because I clicked on the wrong link and so on. So I think this is a wonderful way to say, okay, you don't have to leave the game to find a solution. We give you the hints because we know there are hints out there. And also we kind of give you the hints in some charming way. So it's also part of the game and of the experience. But something I have to criticize is that there are some puzzles where it's like, okay, I've had this before. I have to do this again. And it's not like in the older days when you had the solution for something and then you get into another puzzle and it's a little bit more difficult. So it's more like, okay, you have done this before, but now you have get another thing or think about a new way. Here it is like, okay, you already did that and we have some kind of same thing and you have to do the same thing, get to another island, do the thing you've done before, get to this back again. So this kind of feels like work to me. Yeah, so there's a little bit of repetition in the puzzle yeah. design, you say. Yeah, there's a little bit of repetition and with some puzzles it was like, okay, I already had a solution but I didn't do it like they wanted me to do it. So it was like, okay, ah, okay, I understand it now. I have to, I don't want to spoil anything. I have to put that on the table and not take something out of something. Yeah, I know exactly the sequence that you talk yeah. of because I, I was confused there for a second as well. But what they generally did is make Monkey Island quite a bit more approachable, I think, in the way that the puzzles work, in the way that you get hints, the dialogue, with the hint book, of course, but also with 
the selection between a casual mode and a hard mode at the very beginning. This is something that was introduced previously already, right, in Monkey Island? Yeah, in Monkey Island 3. In Monkey Island 3. And uh, they continue this. I found it very well implemented because the casual mode, it's described when you start a new game. It says all the story and all the fun, but with casual puzzles for the busy on-the-go player. And the hard mode is described as more puzzles, harder puzzles, the full monkey for the pro adventure gamer who wants it all. And just as a brief example on how this works, there is a sequence in Return to Monkey Island where you try to borrow a book. And in order to do that, you need to apologize to a character for something that happened in previous games. And so, never mind, it gets a little bit complicated. But in casual mode, you basically get an apology frog that you need to give to that character. And then basically you have apologized and you can take the book. In hard mode, you do the same thing. You take the apology frog and give it to the character, but then you also have to write a convincing apology on it. And in order to do so, you need to find additional hints about that character in the world, like three different hints that are spread around the island. So you just need to do an additional loop of, you know, collecting information and bringing it together manually. I think that's a very smart way to disambiguate between engaging with a puzzle casually, where I would just like go through and be like, okay, that's fine. Or the hard mode where I'm a little bit more sophisticated and I want to do my very best and work on this so that I can get past this point. Yeah, and you could play the game twice. Technically, you could. And also, I would say what it hints at, because they mentioned the busy on-the-go player. Well, yeah, I mean, the game came out for Windows PC, for Mac, and for the Switch. So there is already an on-the-go version, you could say, because you can play it on the Switch. But I also think the casual mode, as well as the hint book, and the fact how the, the interface is designed, all of this indicates to me that this is going to come to mobile devices as a game at some point. It also costs 20 euro, so or 20 dollars. This is a very affordable game. And I think all of this indicates we'll see an iPad or tablet version or an iPhone version of this game pretty soon. The 20 bucks is actually also a joke because <laughs> at the end of Monkey Island 1, there is the opportunity to let Guybrush say at the end that you never should pay more than 20 bucks for a video game or for a PC game back in the days. And I found that hilarious that it was like, okay, here... It is for 20 bucks. We're actually selling it for 20 bucks, yeah. So, But I don't know if this is... Of course, it will be on mobile at some point. Why not? Yeah, it's it perfectly is designed to do that. Yeah, but for me, it was more like a, not criticizing the, the, the uh, development, how games developed until this day. It was more like, okay, we are aware. The people which are playing this kind of game and 12 years old and have a lot of time, there is maybe a parent who doesn't have the time to click on everything. Yeah, you might have spent the time in the 90s sitting down and playing Monkey Island for two months just in that one yeah. game. Now things are different. The game grew up, the developers grew up, the audience grew up, and now we want you to be able to choose yourself how deeply you want to engage with the intricate puzzle design. How long did it took you? Oh, I don't remember. It was not that long. I think um, I fit. I definitely finished it in a week. It's shorter yeah, than but a week. How many hours would you say? Mm, I'm gonna estimate that I played 
played it maybe for five hours. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the stats. Yeah, for me, it was the same. I think like five or six hours. Yeah. And I saw only the, the time span of a Let's Play on YouTube. I didn't watch it, but I saw, okay, somebody had finished this in like four and a half hours. Yeah, I think this is a good estimate. Like, let's say if you want to play the game plan between three to six hours, <laughs> they also do have a lot of meta humor. For example, did you get the horse armor pre-order bonus? Yeah, of course. I, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this anyway as soon as possible because we want to do a review. So why not pre-order it and get yes. the horse armor? You get a horse armor and the only thing that it does, it looks good in your inventory. That's what it says straight away. Yeah, but it isn't the case. It's not the case? No, you can look at it at several points in the game. And for example, I mean, it's... Is it a spoiler? It doesn't seem like it because people who haven't pre-ordered it don't even get the horse armor. Okay, in the ending, you can look at the horse armor again and the interactions say questioning the horse armor at this point. So it's like, okay, why... Why did I bring that? Yeah. But the fun thing is that they give you a pre-order bonus that's completely pointless, basically. It's only there for a meta joke. Yeah. And they're saying this is completely pointless, like everything else, which is like pre-ordered. Yeah, I think this is a wonderful way to satirize the video game industry and how it works, that you get a pre-order bonus and it's essentially worth absolutely nothing. Yeah, and of course there are boxes in the game, but there are no loot boxes or <laughs> everything else like that. So that's that's wonderful. Generally, maybe to close this conversation off, I would say that the ending of Return to Monkey Island, we're not going to go into any spoilers, but we can say maybe, at least I can say that I found the ending to be quite a beautiful way to wrap up this, you know, well, what is now considered to be the original Monkey Island trilogy, I suppose, or the Ron Gilbert's Monkey Island trilogy. I think it's a wonderful way to engage with the series to, well, potentially also close off a big chapter for this series. Yeah, and to say goodbye to also the audience, to the world of Monkey Island, and to Guybrush. It is super, super charming. I didn't expect it to be as heartwarming, and I'm not only talking about the ending, I'm talking about the entire game. Didn't expect it to be as heartwarming as it turned out to be. I had a great time playing it because it was hilarious. And the puzzles, while I sometimes had to take a peek in that charming little hint book, they never brought me to the point that I thought, oh, this is annoying. And so everything considered, I would say Return to Monkey Island, for anyone who has played the previous Monkey Island games, I would say it's definitely to be recommended. And only something to add at the ending. <laughs> when you look at the reviews of Monkey Island, I mean, we are not in a show which is doing this kind of, yeah, 9 out of 10 reviews. We're not going to do this here. Are we not? Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I would go give a free-headed monkey behind your back, <laughs> which is standing right there. Um, you should look at it. <laughs> but I would say, I, I've looked at the reviews and it's like, Often the times it's like 9 out of 10, and I would say this is totally deserved. And to talk about this kind of backlash we talked briefly about, I think Ron Gilbert deserved this kind of audience now saying this is a good game and not having this kind of, oh, I don't like your art style and I'm coming to your blog and insulting you. This kind of saying thank you very much for this wonderful game and I think that's, that's my ending statement. Thank you for the wonderful game. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Toby. And thank you out there so very much for listening. If you're curious 
then you can of course submit your thoughts and questions to studyingpixels.com contact. If you wish to, then you can also help us make this show happen by getting Studying Pixels Plus. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, of course, to Richard Mertens for editing this episode. And we will be live again next weekend. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.